Well, turn with me, first of all, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 to 12, and then we'll pray. Father, the unity we've just sung about is a unity that comes from you and is found in Christ. Your word tells us to make every effort to keep the unity of the Holy Spirit through the bond of peace. And that one way we do that is by learning to love one another more and more with that Philadelphia that you have taught us. So help us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I've never been to Philadelphia. I don't know the city. I don't know. Has anybody here been to Philadelphia? No. Uh, I don't know whether it's a good place to live or not, but I do like its name. It was chosen by William Penn from which the state Pennsylvania gets its name, at least after his father. He was a Quaker, William Penn, and its name, as we were saying earlier, means brotherly love. I've never been to Philadelphia. I've never seen the film Philadelphia. But I do like the Bruce Springsteen song that comes from the film. It's called The Streets of Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia is a, a Greek word. It's made up of two words, but it is a word in its own right. It is a compound word, phylos, one of the Greek words for love, and adelphos, the Greek word for brother, brought them together and into a new word, Philadelphia, brotherly love. And in everyday Greek usage, it described the love that brothers and sisters have for each other. And maybe sometimes the brothers and sisters we, lo we express that love in, in funny ways, but that's the word that's used for it, the affection and love shared by children who have the same biological father. But in the New Testament, the word Philadelphia is used and is always used. 100% of the time it is used in the New Testament. The word is always used of children who share the same heavenly father. It is always used of Christians and their love for each other, of brothers and sisters in Christ. Brothers and sisters who are bonded together, not by genetic material, not by DNA, but bonded together by faith in Jesus Christ. And that is how the word Philadelphia is used and is always used in the New Testament. It is never used to describe cream cheese. That will not surprise you. So let's look at verse 9. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. And the phrase there, your love for one another, is Philadelphia, brotherly love. And Paul says he does not need to write to them about their Philadelphia, their love for one another. But then he goes on to do just that. Uh, it's a bit like when we use the expression, it goes without saying. And then we say, <laughs> what goes without saying? <laughs> It goes without saying that when I got good news from the hospital, I was relieved, I was glad, but you, you say what you say, you don't need to say. Why does Paul do that? Well, he's being encouraging, isn't he? He's being, we've seen that all through this letter, that he affirms them in the faith and the love that they are already showing. I don't need to write to you about your love for each other because you're doing it. He affirms them in their love for their, each other before encouraging them to do it even more, to do it even more. Verse 9, now about your love for one another, your Philadelphia, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. 
And in fact, you do love all the brothers, all of God's family throughout Macedonia. And yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Spread it around. Spread it around. Now, these brothers and sisters in Christ were already loving one another, and not just God's family in Thessalonica, but all God's family throughout Macedonia. Which is quite something, isn't it? Because I suspect many of us would find it hard enough to love all of God's family in Inverness, never mind throughout the Highlands and Islands. But the point is that love for each other as members of God's one family, and God only has one family. He doesn't have different families. He's only one family in Christ Jesus, all one in Christ Jesus. Love for each other is not an optional extra in the Christian life. It's not like when you buy a bicycle, whether a second-hand bicycle or a, a new bicycle, you know that the the, the, the bottle carrier that carries a bottle of, of water, that's not essential. And often with a bike it's not there, you need to buy it as an optional extra to, to screw it on. But a bicycle is not, you can ride a bicycle without a bottle carrier, but you can't ride a bicycle without two wheels. Don't you? You need a front wheel and a back wheel. It's a bicycle, two cycles, two wheels. And similarly, in the Christian life, we need the front wheel of love for God and the back wheel love for each other. Love for God and love for each other. These are not optional extras. These are something that we cannot do without if we call ourselves Christians. Well, looking at these verses, we see three things about this Philadelphia this love that Christian brothers and sisters have for each First of all, it is a God-taught love. You see that at the end of verse 9. It is a God-taught love. Secondly, it is a growing love, or it ought to be a growing love. End of verse 10, the more and more. And then look at uh, 11 and 12. It is a love that works. It is a love that works, that works for the good of the church and for the church's witness in the world. So firstly, it's a God-taught love. Secondly, it's a growing love. And thirdly, it's a love that works, that works for the good of the church and her witness, her reputation in the world. Firstly, then, it's a, a God-taught love. How are Christians taught to love one another? Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that Paul here says it is God who has taught the Thessalonians. You have been taught by God to love each other. How did God teach them? Does did he teach them through Paul, through the apostolic teaching? Paul has already said of the authority that his words carry. You see that in verse 8. Did God teach them through the words of Jesus that Paul would have passed on? You know, this is how men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. A new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Well, that's possible, but I think Paul here is referring to the work of the Holy Spirit. I think he is saying that the Thessalonian Christians had been directly taught by God through the Holy Spirit to love each other. You see, Paul has just mentioned how God gives his Holy Spirit to each of his children, the end of verse 8. 
The Holy Spirit, yes, helps us to live lives of holiness in terms of our sexual behavior and morality. But the Holy Spirit is also how God writes his law of love upon our hearts, giving us a heart of love for him, if you like the front wheel of the bicycle, but also a love especially for our brothers and sisters in Christ, the back wheel of the bicycle. And this is something that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Uh, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 54, verse 13, says this, All your children will be taught by the Lord. All your children will be taught by the Lord. And in fact, Jesus quotes that verse. I'd never noticed it before in John 6, although I must have read John 6 lots of times. But he quotes that verse in John 6, verse 45. It is written in the prophet, says Jesus, they will all be taught by God. How does the Holy Spirit do that? Well, again, the prophets help us to understand what happens in the new covenant, in the new covenant, the new arrangement that comes to fulfillment in Christ. This is the covenant that we'll make with the people of Israel. This is Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 33 and 34, Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law where in their minds and in their hearts I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor. Why do they not need to teach their neighbor? No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. And you see, under the terms of the new covenant, the covenant sealed by the blood of Christ, it is the Holy Spirit who writes the law of God on our hearts when we become Christians. And what is the end of the law? What is the fulfillment of the law? What is the purpose of the law? It is love. Romans 13, verse 10. Love is the fulfillment of the law. But it is also through the Holy Spirit that we come to know the Lord. We do not need anyone to teach us to know the Lord. That is to know him personally, to know him in our experience, to know him in that way. We do not need anyone to teach us to know the Lord, for the Holy Spirit is our teacher. No longer will they teach their neighbor and say, know the Lord. Because they will all know me. So the Holy Spirit teaches us to know and love the Lord personally and in our own experience. And the Holy Spirit teaches us to know and love the law of the Lord personally. A law which is love-shaped and finds its fulfillment and expresses itself in love. So the hallmark of the new covenant you know that special mark that goes in pieces of silver to say that it's a genuine piece of silver? The hallmark of the new covenant, the Holy Spirit stamps on our hearts, is a spirit-given, God-taught love. A spirit-given, God-taught love. A love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And such love, such Philadelphia love, is a sure sign of a genuine Christian faith. We'll be looking later today at the New City Catechism question, and part of the answer deals with um, the assurance of faith. And one of the ways that we can tell if we are in Christ, if we are a Christian, if our faith is real or not, 
is if we love our fellow Christians. And that's what the Bible says. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. The apostle of love in his first letter says this. 1 John 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. In other words, we know that we have become a Christian, that we've been converted, that we've been born again. We know that we've passed from a death to life because we love the brothers. We love each other. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And in fact, elsewhere in that letter, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, John actually says, we don't need anyone to teach you because of the anointing that you have received. So Philadelphia is a God-taught love. And then secondly, Philadelphia is a growing love. It is a growing love. We're used to things growing, aren't we? We're used to children growing up into adults and plants reaching their full height, unless it's a, a fuchsia in my garden. Um, usually, eventually, things stop growing unless it's Lelandii. Uh, most things in the natural world have a season of growth and then they stop growing, don't they? There's a time of growth and then growing stops. Uh, and, you know, the same kind of thing can happen in our Christian lives and in our love for each other, our Philadelphia. It's not just that we stop growing. It's not just that it happens, but we kind of expect it to happen. And it's kind of understandable that it happens. That it's okay when it happens, that we grow so far in our faith and our love and then we stop. But that is not God's pattern for our Christian living and our Christian lives. That is not God's pattern. I don't know whether any of you watch the Great British Sewing Bee. Um, on a Wednesday. Does anybody watch it at all? Some people do. Um, there's somebody in our house watches it avidly, and of course, I just happen to see it occasionally. And I usually come in near the end. So near the end of the Great Bridge Sewing Bee is when, of course, the judges, uh, Patrick and Esme, are assessing the sewing work that's been given to them and passing their comments on it. And one of the judges, Esme, there's a, there's a guy, one of the candidates, one of the people in the program is a guy called Damien. And Esme will say, she'll say it to Damien, I've heard her say it more than once. She'll look at the garment that Damien has made and then she'll turn to Damien and she said, you didn't follow the pattern, did you? Because <laughs> she can tell. And uh, Damien will say, well, I tried to. <laughs> you didn't follow the pattern. You see, God's pattern for us as Christians is to keep growing. Is to keep growing in our faith and in our love for our brothers and sisters. Paul says now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. You yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Now, he could have stopped there, but he didn't. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, as he writes the word of God, he says, Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. To press on, to keep going, to grow. Don't stop growing. Grow. In Christ and through the Holy Spirit. Uh, John Stott has said this, Christian complacency is a particularly horrid condition. We have constantly to be on our guard against vanity and apathy. 
In this life, we never finally arrive. We only press on toward the goal. Our justification is indeed once for all, but our sanctification is always more and more. Our justification, our position in Christ is indeed once for all, declared not guilty, wonderful. But sanctification, growing in Christ-likeness, is always more and more. It's a lifelong pattern. What will that look like in practice? Well, it doesn't automatically mean, and I've mentioned this before because we easily fall into the trap of thinking it means we must do more and more, but that's not what Paul says. It doesn't automatically mean we have to do more and more. What he says is that we are to love each other more and more. And that means that if we are in the habit of getting angry with a brother or sister in Christ, if we are in the habit of being impatient with a certain brother or sister in Christ, or dismissive of them, or looking down our nose at them, or being jealous or envious of them, and I am guilty of all these sins and more, then to love that brother or sister more and more will mean putting those sins to death more and more. Not putting up with them, but putting them to death. At the cross of Christ, And in the power of the love of Christ. Yes, it will also mean offering practical help and support for those in need. It will also mean being willing graciously to receive such help and support when we need it. There is a giving and receiving in love which is all part of Philadelphia. Brotherly, sisterly love. What it does not mean is sponging off each other or living like a parasite on the body of Christ. You know, like a tick. What does a tick feed on? (laughs) Blood. Yeah. And it seems sadly that some of the Christians in Thessalonica were living a bit like a parasite on the body of Christ. And that's why Paul turned to address this specifically in verses 11 and 12. For Philadelphia is not only a God-taught love, it's not only a growing love, it is a love that works. It is a love that works. Every so often you will hear about a group of people, won't you, who have sold all they have or given away all they have. They've left their families, left their jobs and moved usually to Israel to wait for the Lord Jesus to return because they think they know when Jesus is coming back. Despite Jesus telling us very clearly that none of us will know what day he's coming back until the day it happens. And then everyone will know. And not just in Israel, everywhere. And it seems that some of the Christians in Thessalonica thought the Lord's return was imminent that word means just round the corner just about to happen they thought the lord's return was imminent and therefore they'd stopped working and that meant of course they had to rely on other christians for food and support and it seems also that they were kind of hanging around these other people who were doing their work and interfering with them like standing with you know you can imagine a garage seeing people working busily in the garage and somebody standing there with their hands in the pocket passing comment on how things were being done So Paul writes later on in this letter, for example, right at the end, chapter 5, verse 14, if you look, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Idle and disruptive. 
And when it comes to his second letter to the Thessalonians, it was clearly still a problem because he writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. So that helps to fill in a little bit of the context. We go back to chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 of 1 Thessalonians. Make it your ambition. Aspire, aspire, aspire to lead a quiet life in the sense of not interfering with other people's work and things like that. Aspire to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now remember, what is Paul doing here? He's spelling out what it means to love brothers and sisters more and more. Verse 11 is the same sentence as the end of verse 10. It follows on. Philadelphia is a love that works. Here's something from the two Johns. Uh, Firstly, again, from John Stott. Uh, John Stott says, It is an expression of love to support others who are in need. But it is also an expression of love to support ourselves so as not to need to be supported by others. It's an expression of love to support others who are in need, but it is also an expression of love to support ourselves so as not to need to be supported by others. And that is the consistent teaching of Scripture. Somewhere towards the end of Galatians, Paul talks about carry each other's burdens. And then in a few verses later, he says each one should carry their own burdens. Ephesians 4 verse 28, Paul writes, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. And this is the consistent teaching of Scripture. There are to be no work-shy freeloaders in the Christian church. Now, Paul is not attacking those who are unemployed. who can't find a job. He's not attacking those who can't work because of age or health, whether that's physical health or mental. He's not attacking those who work in the home, not at all. He is is attacking specifically those who are idle and disruptive, who are not busy, but busy bodies. The lazy and the idle who apparently have nothing better to do. Here's the second John. This is John Calvin. There is nothing more disgraceful than an idle good-for-nothing who is of no use either to himself or to others and seems to have been born merely to eat and drink. Quite like that. From Calvin, there is nothing more disgraceful than an idle good-for-nothing who is of no use either to himself or to others and seems to have been born merely to eat and drink. Folks who apparently have nothing better to do. Well, Paul says there is something better we can do. We can show our love for our brothers and sisters in this way, that we make it our ambition to lead a quiet life, that we mind our own business and work with our hands just as we told you, so that your life may win the respect of those on the outside 
and you will not be dependent on anybody. You see, Philadelphia is a love that works. It works for the good of the church, the health of the church, but also for the good of the church's reputation and witness to the outside world. And that was important in Thessalonica, where the Christians were accused right at the beginning of being troublemakers. These men that have caused trouble all over the world have now come here to Thessalonica. No, we're not disruptive. The message of the cross is disruptive, but we're not disruptive. We get on with our lives. We work with our hands. And just as it was important for the mission and outreach and reputation of the church in Thessalonica, so it is important for our witness and our mission in our skeptical and critical world. A love that works, a love that gives to each other within the church and to society. And such is the importance of Philadelphia. A God-taught love, a growing love, a love that works for the good of the church and the good of the church's witness to the world. My prayer is that God may help all of us who are brothers and sisters in Christ to make the streets of Inverness and beyond the streets of Philadelphia. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the love that you have taught us. Oh yes, Father, we, we appreciate, we not only appreciate, we value highly, we esteem, Lord, the word that teaches us of our love and shows us the command to love one another, but without your Holy Spirit, we could not do it. So we thank you that your Spirit has written your law on our hearts and minds and has taught us directly to love you and to love each other. Forgive us, Father, when we have failed in that love. Forgive us when we have stopped growing in our faith and in our love for each other. And help us, Father, to, to know that it is an important witness to each other and to the outside world to show a love that works, that we may support ourselves if we are able to do that, and then out of what you give to us to support others in need. Lord, help us not to be busybodies this week. Help us to care without interfering, but also, Lord, to, to make it our ambition to aspire to live in such a way that we win the respect of those outside the church. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.